Hi, welcome to another episode of Unordained. Um, this is a podcast where I, as a former um, born-again Christian and pastor, who's now an atheist, have conversations with people um, who've gone through the same thing and uh, people who are um, familiar with uh, religious trauma and uh, fundamentalism and pretty much anything to do with uh, deconstruction from religion and deconversion. Um, and so my guest today, I am very thrilled to have her here. Um, she is the founder of Divorcing Religion. She is a uh, registered professional counselor and she specializes in religious uh, trauma. Um, she's also a religious trauma consultant and, um, and a fellow Canadian. So, I mean, you can't get much better than that. So please help me welcome Janice Selby. I'm just thrilled to have you here because I can relate so much to your story. Um, I mean, I thought I was in deep, but sister, I didn't wear a bonnet. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, and I proudly wore that bonnet. Yes, I did. Oh, I bet. Could you please start by just kind of talking about your background a little bit? Sure, I'm happy to talk about yeah, tell About me that. Sure. I live in British Columbia and I was uh, born and raised here uh, in a, the Okanagan Valley. So, you know, there were about 60,000 people in my hometown and my parents were Pentecostal. And so I was raised in that tradition. And so speaking in tongues, you know, laying hands on for healing, anointing with oil was very normal in my house and yep. in my life. Um, but my dad is pretty unhealthy individual you know diagnosed narcissist and uh when you combine that with um fundamentalist belief systems it makes for a volatile home environment so i became quite comfortable with rules and rule following when i was a kid my siblings and i because our dad was so volatile our mom was very gentle mom represented everything loving about religion, Christianity in particular, and dad represented everything else. The rules and regulations, my way or the highway. Um, Yeah, that's very much a a fundamentalist uh, view, Mm -hmm. isn't it? That the Mm -hmm. man is the head of the household. Yeah, no matter uh, how unhealthy he may be. Oh, absolutely, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Yeah, I I wasn't born into it, which I believe you were. Mm my husband was he was born into a Pentecostal family um I I I kind of got into it much later I was 28 when I got involved but I was also Pentecostal and speaking in tongues hey so can you still speak in tongues Janice (laughs) I won't ask you to do it but I bet (laughs) that's oh boy (laughs) and you know that one took me a long time to to wrap my mind around after I after I left because in those times when I did speak in tongues I felt really close to God like I felt like I was truly communing communicating um but I'm getting ahead of myself no (laughs) no no just carry on with the story um (laughs) so we so that was kind of a backdrop to my um my home life. And then actually when I was four years old, um, my sister who is first nations, uh, she was unfortunately a victim of the 60s scoop. And so she's indigenous and as was happening in the sixties and seventies, the police and social workers and government and churches were basically raiding, uh, the reserves and, taking the children away and placing them in uh, white evangelical homes. And so we were a white evangelical family. And so I was only four years old. I had no idea. I just thought this is how sisters show up at your house. They show up with a suitcase. She was seven years old. And so then we weren't just three kids. Then we were four kids. Um, And my parents, you know, she stayed with us. They gave her our name and Oh, she grew up with us and I never really thought about it 
uh, which is kind of embarrassing to say. I didn't think about it till I was in my 40s. But so that so we grew up that way. All my siblings in their teens pretty much walked away from church. They had no interest in it. But I was the youngest and I saw how much it pained my parents when my siblings walked away. And I was like, I'm never going to hurt our parents that way. So yeah. I really <clears throat> doubled down in a sense. And then in my late teens, uh, did some backsliding, you know, checked out the world, um, joined a rock band, you know, these you? sorts of things as one does. Yes. You went from a rock band to a bonnet? Is that what you're saying to me? <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> and um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I so I sewed some uh, worldly oats there, uh, moved to the big city, which of course is Vancouver, and then had a back to Jesus moment when I was in Vancouver. Um, because the whole time I was sowing my worldly oats, uh, I felt really a lot of guilt, tremendous yeah. guilt, and always like, I shouldn't be doing this. This is so wrong. I should be, I know what I should be doing and I'm not doing it. So then I had my big back to Jesus moment um, in my early 20s and really did go back to Jesus in a hardcore way and, you know, re reclaimed my virginity. <laughs> uh, and was like, I'm never going to, uh, the next man, the only man I'm going to have sex with again, it's going to be my husband. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so sure enough, I moved back to hometown, started going to the church that I grew up in. My pastor set me up on a date with a guy that he thought would be, you know, great for me. Um, of course, the only thing we had in common was we were both pretty much religious fanatics at that point. And sure enough, we got married. And um moved away to Alberta because he wanted to become a pastor. So we moved to um, Three Hills with, where there's Prairie Bible Institute. And that's oh, a okay. conservative Bible college. Yeah. And I was, I stayed home with the children, started homeschooling. We had two little girls and um, he attended classes. And then I would see uh, these women come into the grocery store in the town and they had they always, were always dressed very modestly conservatively and they always had their hair up and covered and I was saying to my husband at the time he's no longer my husband but I was saying to him uh what's going on with these people like I didn't think we had Amish in this neck of the woods oh, and he yeah. said no they're not Amish they're some kind of Mennonite and I was saying well, why are they covering their heads and he said it's in the bible so I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I never got to that part yet. So sure enough, went to the went to the Bible College Library and got out the lexicons and concordances and all the things that you need to rightly divine the word of God. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and then I saw, sure enough, in uh, Corinthians there, and Paul's talking about how women are supposed to behave and supposed to dress and they're supposed to, you know, have their, their hair covered. Uh, whenever they're praying but also we're always supposed to be in an attitude of prayer so i thought why are these the only women who are doing this because remember i told you i loved rules big fan of rules yeah um so i asked my husband for permission do you mind if i start doing this because i actually think that women should be doing this and he's like yeah okay knock yourself out if you want to do it and to me so then I was being obedient to scripture, obedient to God, and I felt that it would also serve as a reminder for me to be obedient to my husband, which I sometimes found challenging uh, because I didn't think that he always made the right decisions and choices, and um, I would tell him that. And so I thought we, we had our marriage was a challenge. As I said, we didn't really have anything in common. Right. other than our religion um and so our marriage was hard and i thought if i wear this head covering it'll be a visible reminder to me at all times to try and shut my pie hole and that uh, didn't work apparently but uh <laughs> i tried quiet <laughs> the hat didn't keep you quiet is that what you're saying you should have put it right over here <laughs> come with duct tape that's it um <laughs> 
Oh dear. Yeah. So then I started uh, wearing my covering and, and then my, my little girls, of course, like I never cut their hair and they, they had to only be wearing skirts and dresses all the time. Although I did make exception for snow pants because we're in Alberta for Pete's sake. So <laughs> in the winter time, they're playing outside, they're tucking their dress into their snow pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good time. You can't, be, you can't be Canadian without snow pants and a tube. <laughs> and probably a hockey stick, but I digress. Um, so that's how that went. And it was people on the college campus. I think really thought I lost my mind because certainly there was no other no other females on the campus who were uh, covering wearing head coverings and at that same time I got rid of all my pants and shorts and jewelry and everything and so I just would yeah. go to Value Village go to a thrift store and just get all dresses and jumpers and whatever else and of course <clears throat> by this time I was in the homeschool community because I was homeschooling our daughters well the, it was absolutely uh, like normal in that group to be freaky for your faith yeah and they would they thought we were weird because we only had two children like they would pray for us that oh open oh, the womb. Yeah, you know you're, you're like how do you only have two the next closest family had six um yeah and and I remember I begged my husband at one point I'm like please get a reversal on your vasectomy please please and he's like are you crazy? <laughs> no one's touching my junk ever again. That's not going to happen. Forget it. So, um, and now I'm like, thank goodness we did not yeah. go that route. Yeah. But it was so. There's a lot I of fundamental so up in it. A lot of fundamentalists are are are, are also part of the quiverful. Yeah, movement, that's exactly you right. Know? That's exactly yeah. right. And the only place for a woman is in the home, and her only job is to pop out babies and train those babies to be obedient to Christ and obedient to their husband if they're yep. female. And yeah. so that wasn't necessarily something my own parents put on me, certainly wasn't something that my husband put on me. It was, I think, my partly my reaction to coming out of an unstable growing up environment and childhood environment with a volatile, overly religious father. And right. so I'm always searching for rules and tell me what to do, tell me what to do so I don't have to try and think and figure it out for myself. If I yeah. know the rules, I can just obey and yeah. be safe. Um, and you also, but, I, I imagine, you know, like, like me, you wanted to be the best Christian that you could be. You wanted to follow the bible as closely as possible so mm -hmm. when you see things like you know that a woman sh you should not be just with you know the outward adorning and stuff so you throw away your jewelry and makeup and that kind of stuff oh let me tell you it got much worse than that i mean uh i also came across coverings that said um no one's to shave men aren't to shave women aren't to shave so nothing got shaved not my pits not my legs nothing got shaved. <laughs> I don't know how my husband could even stand <laughs> it was, uh, I was like really okay if I'm gonna do this I'm all in and that yeah. also you know we <clears throat> interpret or misinterpret um, religion and everything else through the lens of our personality as well and yeah. I very much tend to be a person of extremes. I'm all the way over here, I'm all the way over here. I'm searching for that elusive middle. And it's really hard for me to find sometimes that middle ground. Yeah. Um, whereas my husband was like a totally middle of the road, very chill, Is that fellow, right? not given to extremes. And um, so do you think that you, do you think that that um, being, you know, one extreme or the other kind of a person, do you think that was born out of your fundamentalist upbringing? Um, I kind of feel the same way, but I wasn't, I wasn't raised like it, but, uh, I do feel like anything I do, I'm good. If I'm behind it, I'm fully behind it. You know, it's so hard to say that nature versus nurture mm -hmm. thing. I look at my dad, whom I don't have a good relationship with. And, uh, and he is absolutely that way. And I hate when I am like him. I hate it when I, and I, and my brothers and I, my siblings and I, we will tease each other about it. You know, if one of us, you know, has a hissy or whatever, and we're like, oh, guess what? I think, I think dad just came out of you a little bit. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know if it's just, you know, 
that my personality was, was always yeah. that way. I do think yeah. that it, I was partly molded that way. Right. Right. Childhood. And so, um, husband, uh, ended up taking a job then in Saskatchewan in a tiny town in uh, Saskatchewan. Now I had never really been, uh, out of BC to, to speak of, um, until we moved to Alberta and we moved to like this small town of 2000 people in Alberta. And then he's like, you think that's small? Yeah, that's Actually, nothing. where we're going. We get to this place is like 800 people in the whole town. I'm like, are you oh. freaking kidding me? Uh, <laughs> he was not. So, <clears throat> so we started at that um, church and it was horrible. Even when he told me so the idea when we went to the Bible college was that he wanted to become a professor. He wanted to be a theology professor, which I thought would be great because he's um, he'd be well suited to that. Not well suited to pastoring at all. Not a shepherd in, in any way. Uh, actually, very likely is on the spectrum. So not, oh, okay. a, you know, interpersonal relationships are pretty difficult. And when he said he thought he was to be pastoring, I was like, oh, no, yeah, I think you may have your wires crossed. And I'm trying to say it as gently and politely <laughs> and submissively as possible. You are about to make the biggest effing mistake that you're dragging our family into. And it's going to be horrible. Um, and it didn't matter what I said, because I was the woman. So, yeah, that's what we did. And uh, and we got out there and it was all of my nightmares came true and I spent the entire time putting out fires in the congregation because due to his lack of interpersonal it just wasn't great so he thought he was having a great time he's like that was the best year of my life because he got to shut himself away and do nothing but write sermons and this sort of thing but literally shut himself away lock himself in the church people are pounding on the church door trying to get in I'm saying you can't <laughs> lock the door people have to be able to get in so it was quite a difficult year and then so we'd only been there a little while when he said to me that um he wanted me to stop wearing my head covering which was super hard for me because I thought I was doing it as an act of obedience and he said right. it's just creating uh, a barrier between you and the other women in the community and in the church for you to be covering so that was heartbreaking for me but obviously I you know wanted to be submissive and obedient yeah. to my husband yeah, yeah trying to be a good Christian wife so so I did and then uh there were just numerous other things that went on in the course of it probably a span of about two years and so my my folks um separated after 43 years together my mom finally got up the courage and did what we wow. thought she should have done ages ago but it was wow. very it was shocking and it was hard for us to come to terms with and then there were all the issues going on in the church like we were not a good fit for that um, congregation. And then my what, nephew what actually kind, was a Pentecostal kind of, church. It was a Pentecostal. Okay. Um, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> called New Life, of course, because hey! of Pentecostal church called New Life. That was the, <laughs> Janice, that was the name of the church I pastored. Of course that was. <laughs> of course it was. And then, uh, so problems so with the church and problems with my parents. And then, uh, and we were both really struggling with depression. And then um, I had a call from my mom who said that my youngest nephew actually had killed somebody and the police were after him and they were worried that he might head out our way to Saskatchewan. And so I had to be prepared if he showed up to go to the RCMP. And wow. so it was just like one terrible thing after another. Um, and then <clears throat> on top of you know much of it our youngest daughter was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and then we went bankrupt um Oof. trying to deal with that so it was a real series of tragedies time, yeah. without without enough time in between even to catch our breath. right and we moved and, back to Kelowna and, and how did that affect your faith at the time that was absolutely the catalyst that was so uh was it yeah, really just like pulling on that string on the sweater, pulling on that thread and the whole thing is starting to unravel. Right, right. Um, and 
so I would say, well, while we were married and living at the Bible college, there were, there were other littler things that had happened that were making me feel maybe uncomfortable about the religion, like particularly the man having all the power in the relationship right, dynamic. Right. Um, and of course, then things about homosexuality mm. and uh, just or how about Abraham being ready to sacrifice his child? I did, or Lot offering his daughters to the, you know, the gang yeah. of people. Yeah. I never was able to uh, really cope with those things or make them fit in. Right. Um, and, uh, but so then when all these tragedies happened on a personal level, mm. that was just it. I figured, okay, I'm, I bet on the wrong horse. I'm, mm it's not working. I didn't know anyone who had tried as hard as I had to live yep. a life that was obedient. And it was yeah. just a shitstorm raining down uh, on us everywhere. Yeah. So then I thought, okay, I have to start looking elsewhere. Cause I was still sure at that point that there was a God, but that I must've somehow misinterpreted or I chose yeah. the wrong religion. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't able to talk with my husband about it. I wasn't really able to talk to anybody about it because it's very much a matter of you just don't have enough faith. You just need to yeah. pray more. You're, yeah. God can heal your daughter. God can give your daughter a new pancreas. I'm like, yeah, that yeah. is not going to happen. How would, why would we have amputees walking around if God actually could do that? Why are there handicapped stalls at a church parking lot? Yeah. If God can actually yeah. do that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I started exploring, going to uh, bookstores and, um, yeah, but, but, but very gingerly, very carefully and fraught with trepidation. I was so oh, I scared. What if I'm doing the wrong thing? Like I could handle if, if I'm wrong and I go to hell, that's one thing, but I can't, what if my children follow in my footsteps and they go to hell because of, mm. because of my mistakes. So I had to grapple with all those things. Is oh, hell yeah. even real? And what am I doing? And how yeah. is this going to impact the family dynamic and the marriage was you know continuing yeah. to unravel at that point um we hung on for a few more years after that maybe another maybe another five or six years after mm. that um and then so eventually i i left christianity altogether dove right into new age philosophies oh, okay. and eastern and grew my dreadlocks and got my own tattoos and you know I can align your chakras like I said go from one extreme to the other and it was so liberating to me because these were things that had been forbidden uh, when I was a Christian and now ooh, I can find out about all this stuff I can put my fingers in all these pies uh, <laughs> it was very exciting yeah. I'm sure my children got whiplash like <laughs> going on yeah. so we went from having an overabundance of rules to like to having no rules there are no rules yes. you can and how old you were want. your kids then at that time teens okay <clears throat> and right. uh and i my husband also was fairly shocked by everything that was going on he wasn't even attending church by then by that point that when when his pastoring dream evaporated uh he was pretty upset he was depressed and bitter and um at me um for a while thinking things were my fault and I was just really hard it was a hard um yeah. hard time in our family and in our house and then eventually uh I said you know what I can't do it anymore I can't stay in this marriage anymore right. and it was hard because I still loved him and he still loved me and he didn't come to religion until he was in his late teens really till he was about 18 so he didn't grow up with the same intense indoctrination so for me when when my faith was dissolving my identity everything was dissolving and blowing apart yeah. in my life yeah. and it wasn't yeah. like that for him it was like oh okay maybe this thing I believed isn't actually the right thing but for me it was every facet of yeah. my life was yeah. impacted by this it was yeah. really really difficult and I went back to school um 
uh, for counseling. So learning about psychology and counseling and um, helping other people. And I still had never heard of religious trauma or religious trauma syndrome. I didn't actually know anyone else who had been as fully invested as in the faith as I was and who had walked away. Yeah, I would have loved to have had someone that I oh, could talk yeah. to. Yeah, because it was so profound. Oh, yeah. I want to I want to land on that for just a minute. Yeah, because this is something <clears throat> I'm going to turn on my light in a minute because I just lost one of my lights. Um, this is something that's really it, it bothers me when like I've done a bit of speaking. I've been on a few podcasts and that kind of thing. And one of the one of the main things that people say is, oh, you just wanted to sin. You just wanted to you just wanted to rebel. And then, or other people will say, well, um, you know, that basically they don't see how it's a big deal. It's just it, like it wasn't a really a big, in Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, but it's like, it's not just that you, you know, you wanted to go out and sin or you, you know, whatever. It's just so ridiculous to me. When I, when I think about how devastated I was and how totally wiped out I was. I, I mean, I didn't know who I was, how to live, how to make decisions, how what my future was going to be like. I felt almost paralyzed after. I mean, how if Jesus is your whole life, how do you go on when you realize that you don't believe in Jesus anymore? Right. So it's yeah, I, I really I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit. Um sure. how uh what what is the word? Like how how basically how deep it can reach somebody mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's yeah. your identity it's, we used to have found. we used to have um bible verses that we would write out and we would confess them all the time of who we are in christ and yeah. we were all about how we had to die and it was christ that lives in us and um you know so your if your whole identity is in it and then that's gone you really don't know who you are Yes. Yeah. And that I think, especially for people who are still married to someone who's firmly entrenched in their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And my God, if you add children into the mix there and you're still raising kids. Yeah. Very, very problematic. Right. A lot of marriages um, aren't able to survive either one partner becoming religious or one partner leaving yeah um, that religion or losing yeah. their faith because it's such a that the world view uh you know seeps into every aspect of your life it informed what what i wore what i read yes. or watched or listened to who yep. with whom i had contact uh all my motivations you know yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't i wouldn't befriend unsaved people unless it was with the purpose of proselytizing yeah you know it's always that hope is always there, oh, I'm going to win them for Christ. If I'm just yeah. good enough, if I just can manage to do yeah. it right and be a good enough witness, which is a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. Um, so those are very real. And then to have the utter dissolution of your worldview, it's like, yeah, yeah. if you imagine a, a skeleton dissolving, there's, there's no place to hang anything after that. There's no, so and I was like, well, how do I know if I believe this for 40 some years of my life, what else am I believing yeah. that is not correct? Am I even actually here? Like, are yeah. we in a giant computer game? Like you're suddenly you're yeah. extremely vulnerable yeah. uh, to everything because you don't know what is real and what is not. Yeah. Real. It's almost like you don't trust your own, your own brain yes. then, because yes. I feel like I was deceived for you know 20 something years and yeah. then you know and then there were there were times when i've said to myself um like back you know in the first year or so well if i really thought i was right then and i really think i'm right now how do i know which right was right yeah <laughs> you know mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i don't i don't feel that way now because i've i've examined it a lot more yes so. yes and it takes a while to we need uh, sometimes a bit of space to get from that one place to the next where we can give ourselves freedom to start researching and educating ourselves because for a lot of us, 
that was forbidden. I exactly. mean, I wasn't allowed to listen to CBC radio when I was growing <laughs> up because my dad exists and they were all a bunch of commies. Um, you know, CBC that, radio, for anybody who's American, it's like... <laughs> Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Definitely not. <laughs> it's like NPR, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I had lots of rules and restrictions on what I could do. Wasn't allowed to even stay in the classroom or wasn't supposed to if evolution uh, was being talked about or yeah. these sorts of things. And so, of course, also because my um, religion was taught to me by my parents. And so those are the people on whom my life depended as a child. So when they tell you something and say, this is the truth, you ingest that and you're yeah. like, okay, this is the truth. And you erect all kinds of psychological booby traps yeah. around that truth yeah. to protect it uh, because that is how your worldview is ordered from, yeah. from then on. And so it's like Wonder Woman, you know, people are shooting at her and she's got her, pew, pew, she's got her bracelets up, you know, to bounce the bullets back. That's the kind of cognitive dissonance uh, that comes into play when people are trying to um, maybe show you the truth, present some actual facts that might have you question what your beliefs are. And you're like, nope, cannot do, will not yeah. compute because I yeah. must protect my worldview at all costs because... Yeah. Uh, it gives order to my world. It makes me feel safe. If someone drive, uh, d dies because they were driving drunk, well, that they were being dangerous. They were, but but if an if an innocent five year old is killed by a drunk driver, that's a lot harder to take because that is uh, you know poking a hole in your idea that God is just. So then we wrap that around, but God's ways are higher than our ways. Yeah, we don't understand it. We can't possibly understand everything. But you know yeah. what, there's a lot we can understand because science. So yeah. but it takes a while to get there. We yeah. have to be patient with ourselves. Yeah. And I really hope people who encounter someone who is deconstructing from their faith, please show compassion to that person. Mm -hmm. They are in a vulnerable space, emotionally, mentally they yeah. are not going to jump from from this thing to your you know necessarily atheistic or whatever yeah. uh worldview overnight because they have a lot invested and a lot yeah. to unpack emotionally mentally psychologically and and we're not on someone else's timetable right we do it on our own timetable and you yeah. know i felt for a long time like i was in a dinghy on a gray ocean in the middle of the ocean surrounded by a dense gray fog and I couldn't there was nobody else around I couldn't yeah. see land I couldn't yeah. see I couldn't orient myself it was extremely disorienting um yeah. yeah I did kind of jump into a second adolescence where I was like well I deny myself nothing not a freaking thing uh, which also can be quite problematic when you uh, have children right and teenagers and they're watching you and it's mm -hmm. you know like I've talked with my girls about getting therapy and I've had some very I've had to be very frank in my apologies to yeah. them through the years some of the things that I didn't see as problematic now I'm looking back going, oh, oh God, yeah, I'm so sorry, honey, for yeah, the, for the oh, Janice, that's something that on you. That's something that I really, I, 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 maybe you can come on another time and we can talk about that specific thing because that's something else that's very close to my heart. I raised three of my kids, you know, pretty much in that fundamentals home. I didn't deconvert until they were all grown, yeah. and so that family dynamic even though we all love each other and we all want the best for each other and we're communicating, it's still, I mean, I raised them in a freaking abusive um, environment. It is, it's abusive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, that's really something. Let's talk mm -hmm. about religious trauma syndrome, because sure. this is something that I experienced uh, before I even knew it was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. So um, tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about what sure. it is and how it impacts people okay. like us. 
Sure. It was uh, on part of my um, deconstruction journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was still searching even for the language when I would try and Google on the computer. Uh, I didn't even know words like deconstruction yeah, or religious yes. trauma or anything. And I'm just like, lost my faith, you know, typing that, that yeah. sort of thing. And then eventually, because this is a, a few years ago now, uh, eventually um, I came across Dr. Marlene Winnell, when she's mm -hmm. a psychologist in the United States. And she wrote a book called Leaving the Fold, which is a guide yes. for fundamentalists and others leaving their religions. And um, I saw some TV interviews with Dr. Winnell and she had been raised in a missionary family um, for uh, all of her growing up years. And then she had walked away from the faith or lost her faith, however people like to, to yeah. say it. Yeah. Um, and I wish there was a better way to, I actually wish there was a better phrase for it because I don't like, I don't like any of them. Yeah. Like losing your faith is probably the closest you can get, but for me, it was, do you feel like you lost something? I don't feel like I lost something. So I don't like putting in a negative um, right. light like that, you know, but it's more like, I'd like to be able to go around saying, oh, I didn't lose faith. I found reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But at the time, it yeah. didn't seem like that at no, the time. It no. felt like a tremendous loss because it was a tremendous loss. So, I found so it was I, like a, it was like a grieving. It's it's like yep, absolutely. somebody dies, even absolutely. though that person is not real. Yes, correct, correct. Yeah. So I saw uh, Doctor Winnell, and then uh, I was googling her, and I found that she ran these retreats. She was living in um, California at the time. And so I reached out to her and, and by then I was uh, a therapist, but I wasn't, I didn't have any specialization. I was just helping people through difficult times of crisis in their life, but recognizing still that <clears throat> my background was still impacting me, even as I was, you know, trying frantically to peel off as many layers of that onion as I could. Um, but there still were things that were very hard for me that weren't hard for by then I'd moved on had another partner who wasn't religious at all and so he didn't he didn't have these same issues as me he was very free uh, so I reached out to Marlene and uh, attended one of her workshops or one of her um, retreats and read her book and was able to spend time with her and and so she's the one that actually coined the phrase religious trauma syndrome and it's not in the um, DSM but what it is, is basically just a collection of symptoms that people often experience when they have been, usually when they've been raised uh, or have spent a long time in a rigid authoritarian fundamentalist religious group. So we have losses as a result of being in that group with all the rules and restrictions put on us. And then we experience more losses when we leave that group it's so it's a real double whammy extremely yeah. disorienting and it can it can impact us um physically in the in in the way that um ptsd and complex ptsd because really religious trauma syndrome has a lot of crossover with complex ptsd because you're you're attending services weekly and if you're living in a home with parents they're praying every day they're disciplining you every day it's so there's no escape no. from these this these indoctrination tactics and some of them are extremely harsh yeah um, <clears throat> yeah so it was the symptoms uh, can be similar. So some people, your digestion might be off. You might have trouble sleeping. You might have night terrors, nightmares. Um, you might be lethargic. You might be emotionally disconnected and numb from everything. Or you might be frantically self-medicating and uh, being involved in, um, you know, potentially dangerous behaviors, trying to medicate yourself. Um, huge issues around guilt shame and fear the unholy trifecta you know just the guilt shame and fear us. Yeah. yes from guilt the shame and, yeah mm -hmm. oh that sums up that sums up so much janice <laughs> guilt shame and fear yeah That's i am um, i i when when we're done here i'm gonna send you a couple of screenshots of a 
workbook that I used to use when I was a pastor when I did pastoral counseling oh dear um yeah I'll try and prepare myself it was it, well I I just recently found it again because in my angry atheist stage I burned all of my notes and sermons and stuff right um but I found this one workbook lying around and you talk about fear and <laughs> I mean guilt and shame it was basically it's all about how Jesus gave us a victorious victorious life and if we aren't living that in all areas then we had better check ourselves out and so it's a workbook that puts you through seven steps of repenting for wrong thoughts and wrong wow. words and wow. um, wrong actions so um, that, that, yeah that was the, that was what I did for a couple of decades it was we were very big on uh, thought control basically and thought stopping and replacing it with you know replacing what we called negative or bad thoughts or emotions with godly ones right so um so it made us ignore a whole lot of things like I suffered depression for years mm -hmm. um but you can't be depressed and be have the joy of the Lord at the same time. So, you yeah. know, one of it has to be ignored. So I would just, you know, I just suffered needlessly. I'm sorry. And that is so, it almost seems par for the course. And I have to yeah. say, I, I think Pentecostalism is terrible. Yeah. It's really awful. I mean, there are a lot of different fundamentalist, uh, groups that are are just terrible and pentecostalism yeah. is is right up there it's because there's yeah. never you can never get free it's and everything is always your fault yeah. if it's good it's from god if it's bad it's from it's you your, and yeah. you know if your kid gets sick it's because there's sin in your life or you're not praying hard enough or god's chastising you or god's trying to teach you or whatever the yeah. ridiculous yeah. mental gymnastics that we yeah. have to do in order to maintain that uh, that worldview yeah. and then there's when we leave if we are able to leave there's so much as we were saying guilt shame and fear yeah um so I started interacting with uh, Marlene more and then also as I reviewed my own life in ways that uh, my religious upbringing was impacting me I thought okay I'm going to put together a workshop and because I had also divorced my husband I decided to call it the divorcing religion workshop and so it has six modules to it uh and each one well each of the five the sixth one is a bonus one but the each of the five reflects an aspect of divorce because it was so when I lost my faith it was that was much harder on me than my divorce. I've been married for 20 years almost. And I really yeah. loved my husband and cared about him. And actually we are surprisingly good friends. We're in contact every couple of days. We have a very good relationship. Oh, um, but losing Jesus and losing God and losing that whole worldview was so traumatizing oh. yeah. to me. And one of the modules um in my divorcing religion workshop is completely dedicated to grief and a lot of people don't know there are different types of grief and some of them relate fairly um closely to the grief that we suffer when we lose our faith it's uh there's no body to bury we, we don't have a body to bury but and yeah. yet we feel that that we've lost someone i mean jesus was my cosmic big brother always yeah. on my side looking yeah. out for me protecting me from the bullies giving me powers you know yeah so yeah to not have that belief anymore i felt terrified vulnerable open to any manner of attack like because i was coming to the realization that you know what life is around them and bad things can and do happen yeah. and this what I had was just a belief it protected me mentally and emotionally that yeah. certainly did not protect me physically so no. um and oh and then there's a, a type of grief that is not understood or sanctioned by society at large so this might be mm. um say if 
like if a woman's had um, an abortion, she's typically not permitted to grieve that. Or if you've been in a long-term extramarital affair and your extramarital affair partner dies, you're okay. certainly not permitted to grieve right. that. So there are right. things that are socially sanctioned. You're allowed to grieve the loss of your dog because everyone knows dogs are like freaking fantastic. <laughs> and to lose your dog right. is a horrible thing. So yeah. people can give you, have you show you compassion for that. But to lose this, uh, you know, childish, because that's, if people haven't bought into it, if they never did believe, they think it's as childish as believing in Superman or Santa Claus. They don't understand how yeah, profound it is and so we can't really we can't phone up our boss and say well i won't be in for the next year because i have to mourn the loss of my faith which was actually my whole life is freaking falling apart yeah um, so there are different aspects and types of um of grief that i feel like it's important for people to understand we can't mourn what we don't acknowledge so it's important to go through and take a look at the losses associated with the loss of our religious belief and really yeah. name those. And I do the workshop in a small group format because group work can be very healing, very yeah. healing, very supportive. So right now I'm just, um, uh, I've got two more weeks left of, with the current group I'm working with. There's six of them and they come from all different um, fundamentals, Christian backgrounds. And also there's a person who was a rabbi for many years. So I have people from all different groups. And even though maybe the particular beliefs that they had were somewhat different, the sense of loss is very, yeah. very similar. Yeah. Uh, and particularly if it also has involved losing a spouse because the spouse is still in the, uh, in the religion, or now they're trying to co-parent with this person who Mm. telling the children that you know mommy or daddy's going to hell because they don't believe like there's mm -hmm. you don't want to put that burden on children yeah um, so there's a lot of difficulties that can and, come yeah. along with it what have you found to be you know with with the people that you work with mm. what are some of the common denominators of you know the the common struggles i guess mm -hmm. of you know I, I other than the loss of your your identity i mean there's mm -hmm. also a loss of your social circle i suppose yeah, and absolutely yeah because church is the one-stop shop for everything because you get your yeah. you get some a little bit of psychology thrown in there yeah, you get, that's you've right. got your friendship circle you're getting some musical interaction you right. get babysitting if you're in need there might be a meal train or you know right. if you take up a special offering the the only thing in the secular world that has even come close is military uh yeah. you know military circles where it's like a brotherhood um, right. so to speak uh, but otherwise we haven't the religion's been around for thousands thousands of years so it's had a long time to get very perfect at at what it does um yeah so it's hard to replicate on the outside uh yeah the fear guilt and shame is the big one um uh depression yeah is a big deal for a lot of people i mean how could it not be yeah. when you when you've had that eh, so much kind of pulled away and then anger a lot mm -hmm. of people go through a stage of uh you know being quite angry and anger is a legitimate part of grief of the grieving process yeah. we just yeah. don't want to get stuck there yeah. and the, there's a difference between uh, anger that can help propel us towards change and anger that is like self-immolating and it's right. not it's not going to do any good it's just going to consume us and everyone around us so right. we want to be we want to be aware of that i think particularly um in the realm of social media because it's very easy to connect and resonate with other very very angry people so you want to make sure take a look at any groups that you're involved in uh you know as far as your deconstruction goes um are you being are you being served are you being helped in that <laughs> by being part of that group yeah, um, yeah. or not and yeah. also it's good to realize when we're rebuilding our identity and figuring out who we are it's life is very much like a buffet and you're at this table and there's every kind of food you can imagine 
you don't have to eat every <laughs> food that's on the table. You're going to make yourself sick. And you're allowed to take a bite of everything and then be like, Ugh, nope, yeah, don't want yeah. it, don't want it. And, and, and then move on and try yeah. the next thing. And it's can be similar with ideology. So we're, we enter into a time of exploration and investigation. We're going to research and find things out. What fits? What doesn't fit? And yeah. please, let's try and avoid making grand proclamations. I am now the blah, blah. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just like, do it in little doses and see how yeah. it fits with yeah. us. And it's also important for people to recognize uh, that while it may be their personal good news that they have come to reason, like you're saying, you entered more into a, a time of reasoning and science. This is the very worst possible news for your religious parents or That's your right. religious uh, partner, you know, your spouse, your relatives, whatever. So if and when we do share this news with those close to us. And it's appropriate to share the news because you don't have to live a secret. You don't right. have to keep things secret. You're allowed to be who you are and move through this world autonomously. Right. There's no shame in it. Um, but when we share the news, we need to give people uh, appropriate space and time to digest what we have just said. And you're allowed to share your news and, and apply some boundaries too. You can share the news and say, I'm happy to answer questions about, you know, my process or whatever, but I'm not going to talk about blah, blah, or I'm not going yeah. to uh, be attacked, you know, this sort of thing. You're allowed to set your boundaries. And that's something that Christianity robs people of the, yeah. the ability to set boundaries. It's such a cult of confession where it's insisted yeah. that we tell our pastors, we tell our small group, we yeah. tell our parents, you're not allowed to have any thoughts of your own to keep in your head. Well, yeah. guess what? That's part of adulting and being an autonomous person. You are allowed to have your own thoughts and belief systems, and you don't have to share everything. You're allowed to have boundaries. Yeah. And that's that is one thing that religion uh, robbed from robs from most, a lot of us anyway. Boundaries. We used to have accountability partners all the time. I mean, if you if you thought something that was wrong, you should confess it to someone. And you know, so yeah, there was, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's crazy making. It's and now of course I'm on this side of it looking back and I'm just shaking my head like oh my god it's hard yeah. to it's hard to believe that ruled my life and not only yeah. did it rule my life I was very happy in it I was yeah. very secure in it and I really thought I really felt sorry for you know Richard Dawkins and those poor atheists like I prayed 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 for Spong and you know all these other uh, people now I'm like oh I gotta read me some more of their <laughs> some more of their books because it's yeah. it's so uh yeah it's so liberating and that's how I feel now and that's how I move through my life now as I feel liberated. I, I recently um, hosted the first ever conference on religious trauma. And that just came out of an idea after I'd been to one of Marlene's um, workshops because I've or conferences because I've, I've spent time with her there. Oh, her retreats actually is the right word. And I've attended and I've helped facilitate at some. And then afterwards, one time I said, you know, I think we need a conference on this on religious trauma. And she's like, do you know anything about putting together a conference? Because it's a very big deal. I had no idea. Like, I think I'd only ever been to two conferences. In my life. Okay, so and, you learned uh, as you went along, I guess. I sure did. Wow. I sure did. Um, but it ended up being really, really successful. We had um, over, well over 300 people who purchased uh, tickets or attended the event. It was online. And now I'm um, putting together this next year's conference, 2022 conference on religious trauma. And um, we'll be oh, looking at the role the church played in the cultural genocide of our First Nations people in Canada. I had already decided that before 
all these horrible things have been coming to light in Canada. Wow. They just happen to coincide. And I also want to be looking at um, the role of adoption, particularly among evangelicals, but all religious people adopting babies with the aim of mm. indoctrinating them, yeah. adoption for indoctrination purposes. So really tackling some big, uh, some pretty big issues. So the conference this year won't be, we won't have <laughs> 22 speakers like we had last year. Good boy, let me tell you, that's, that's a lot. It'll be more like a weekend um, event and it'll be <clears throat> probably hybrid. So online and potentially in person in Vancouver. Um, but ex exploring more issues related to religious trauma. Yeah, that's fabulous. That that is really good work. Um, like that, you, what you're doing is is really great. Um, for 300 people to be, you know, to be at your first conference, um, the need is out there. People Absolutely. need want to know. So that's yeah. fabulous. Yeah, it's very exciting. Thank you. Because to think that something that was just an idea yeah could give birth to something that benefited so many people and we had attendees from from around the world from all around the world from russia and australia and uh europe and north america um and it allowed me to uh expand my circle so that i now have contact with people like um yasmin muhammad the founder of free hearts free minds and she's an uh she's an ex-muslim and her book is called unveiled fantastic uh, oh, book nice. so because muslims when people leave uh, islam of course they're in danger of losing their life and these people need a significant um help to try and get to safety or figure out how they can navigate how they can stay alive in right. their uh, religious yes. society when they no longer yeah. uh believe so yeah, yeah there's all sorts of millions and millions and millions of people around the world who yeah. have been victimized by religious trauma by religion and do you think i kind of have a feeling it'll, there'll be more and more like more people are gonna have to they're gonna start coming out of fundamentalism i think yeah, um, because I call it the rise hard. of the nuns, the rise of the yeah. nuns, the people who now claim no religious uh, affiliation. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's getting harder and harder in this day and age to uh, do those mental gymnastics and make that shit work, <laughs> I guess, with, you know, with absolutely. the information and stuff that we have available to us now. So absolutely. And yeah. um, of course, yeah, the, the older people, like my parents' generation, mm. you know, my mom is still a, still a believer and she doesn't understand my work. And uh, at different times, she has expressed not only bewilderment, but some hurt, uh, you know, that I have rejected these things. Yeah. But we maintain a pretty close relationship she says i don't i don't understand but i want to support you like she said should i buy a ticket to your conference you're like absolutely not <laughs> please do not because she's in her 80s i don't want her having an existential crisis as she's staring oh, death yeah. in the face i would want her to to have fear and uh, angst um yeah. and she's she's wise enough that it's not a topic of our regular conversation. There's lots of other stuff to talk about in life. Right, we don't right. just have to focus on this one divisive um, issue. Right. No, people got to come to their own conclusions anyway. It's so true. People, people have to get there on their own time. People yeah. will draw their own conclusions. I am responsible for me. So yes. I'm not going into churches and yanking people out of pews and shaking them. I'm not doing that. Other people might do that. I don't do that. It's more like I'm waiting outside the church doors when someone gets thrown out of the church, when someone stumbles out of the church and being like, what just happened? Like, I don't, I had my faith one minute. And now I've yeah. said, who, who am I? What's going on? that's where I come in saying, yeah. you know what, it's, it's scary right now, but it's going to get better. Yeah, there is healing and hope and recovery uh, for people who have religious trauma syndrome. And yes. that's where I come in. Janice, thank you so much. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much. Um, if, if somebody 
what's your website again? Let's uh, sure. let's end with plugging your website and, and your information <laughs> of right. how someone can reach you because it's very is very important. I know sure. that I would have. I wish I had met you four years ago. I must say when I deconverted yeah, myself. So. Ditto. Yeah. Um, yeah. Divorcing hyphen religion.com is my website. And that's where people can find out about um, my workshop. And I also do have uh, people can still purchase recordings from the conference on religious trauma. Right. All the video recordings are still available. They can purchase access to those. Uh, and so they can reach me through the website. They can also reach me on Twitter. I have two different Twitter accounts. First one is at divorce religion. And the second second one is at wise underscore counselor, wise counselor. And of course, counselor has two L's. It's the Canadian way. <laughs> um, so I'm quite, I'm quite active on um, Twitter and on Facebook. I'm just under Janice Selby. That's great. Right. Janice Selby. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Janice. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on.